welcome to Killer Conspiracies, a Utah true crime podcast. I'm your host, Kobe. Today, I'm bringing you two or three stories from the Beehive State. My sources for this first episode were Murderpedia and Wikipedia, because I could not find much about this guy. His name was Jack Henry Abbott. He was an American author, not born in Utah, but at a camp Skeel in Michigan on January 21st, 1944, to an Irish-American soldier and a Chinese prostitute. Later, in his book from 1981, called In the Belly of the Beast, he said he was in foster care from birth to about age nine. While he started serving long stints in juvie, after the foster care. He was always getting in trouble with teachers, and soon after that, the law. At 16, he would be sent to a long-term reform school in Utah called the Utah State Industrial School, which I don't know if it's around anymore. According to him, he was treated badly by guards at that school. Later, at 21 years old, he was in the Utah State Prison for forgery. While there, he stabbed another inmate to death. He was given 3 to 23 years for this offense. But in 1971, he pulled a Bundy and escaped prison and robbed a bank in Colorado. Another 19 years were added. Most of this time would be in solitary confinement because he was a shithead. shithead. After writing to an author, Norman Mailer, who was actually writing about another killer, Gary Gilmore, he told him about his experiences in prison because he wanted to be written about, probably for notoriety. We all know how killers are, they always want attention. And this book would be the belly in the belly of the beast. Mailer actually endorsed Abbott for parole to the dismay of prison officials, they knew he was dangerous. But he was released anyway, and he made his way to New York. July 18, 1981, six weeks later after being released, Abbott and two women went to a cafe called Benny Bond. Abbott had asked a waiter if he could use the bathroom. The waiter told him it's an employee's only bathroom and it can only be accessed through the kitchen. Abbott started arguing with him. His name was Richard. Richard then led Abbott out to a dumpster in the back of the cafe and told him to urinate by the dumpster. For some reason, Abbott stabbed him to death. He then fled to Louisiana. I don't know why you'd want to flee there. While he was in hiding, he would be recognized and detained by a business owner until police arrived in Morgan City, Louisiana, and they would arrest him. He would be charged with the murder, his trial starting January 1982. He was only convicted of manslaughter and sentenced to 15 to life. He wrote another book in 1987 called My Return, but it did not do as well as his first. 
February 10th, 2002, he used a bedsheet and shoelaces, fastened a noose, and hung himself in his cell. He did write a suicide note, but it was never publicly released. Okay, let's get started on the next story. This is a white supremacist with a bunch of shitty tattoos all over him. His nickname was Wood for some reason. I don't know. His actual name was Curtis Michael Algier. I don't know. He was born August 25th, 1979. His criminal record went back to 1998 for theft and reckless driving in South Dakota. Then in Utah, he was charged with felony burglary, forgery, and theft in October of 2000. He had stolen a check and wrote himself a $300 check, and he would also be charged with carrying a concealed weapon. He only got 180 days in probation. Like the smart man he is, he fled Utah in August of 2001. He then got caught and got a 1 to 15 year sentence, but was paroled in 2003, and then without permission from his parole officer, he traveled to California, and he was caught and had possession of two knives, so he was sent back in 2004. And guess what? He was paroled again in 2006, and then he violated parole again and was a fugitive for two days in Salt Lake City until SWAT found him in a hotel. He was armed and barricaded himself, but he tried to hide in the ceiling and fell through the ceiling, which he would be caught. He got 104 months for this. June 27th of 2007, he was being escorted by a corrections officer to the University of Utah to get an MRI. He had been complaining about back problems. The officer was, his last name was Anderson. He had unshackled Curtis so he could get an MRI, and then Anderson overpowered him, took his gun, and shot and killed him. He later said it went off on accident while they were struggling. He then fled on foot, stole a Ford Explorer, leading police on a high-speed chase. He would be arrested at an Arby's, a shitty place for a shitty person to be arrested. A few miles away, he tried shooting an employee there, but the gun jammed, and a man tackled him, subduing him until the police arrived. In October 3rd, 2012, he would plead guilty to murder and some other charges. He was sentenced to life. Story 3. A lot of you will probably know this one. It's a pretty famous Utah murder. William Andrews and Pierre Selby, also known as the Hi-Fi Murders. This happened in April of 1974, the 22nd. They were 19 years old, both airmen for the Hill Air Force Base. They took five people hostage in the hi-fi shop. 
just before closing, the men had entered the store with weapons they were planning on robbing. Uh, two employees, Stanley, who was 20, Michelle was 19. They were taken hostage. They were put in the basement and bound. And then they started stealing stuff from the store, putting it in their van. While they were doing this, a 16-year-old boy named Courtney came in to talk to Stanley because he wanted to thank him for doing running some errands with him. He would also be tied up. Later that night, Stanley's father was worried about him, so he went to the store to see if everything was okay. He would also be taken hostage. Selby ordered Andrews to get something out of their van. He returned with a blue liquid. And then the 16-year-old boy's mom came looking for him because she was also worried about him, but she would be bound and placed next to her son. And then these two asshats made all the victims drink the liquid, telling them it was vodka with sleeping pills. It was Drano. And as soon as it touched their lips, the acid in the Drano started burning them, blistering, and just burnt, messing them up. Uh, the young woman that was working there was not forced to drink it. Then they tried to duct tape the victim's mouth shut because they were screaming because of the pain they were in but all the damage to their mouths and faces would not allow the tape to stick Mr. Walker who would survive this was the last to drink the liquid he faked having convulsions and acting like he was dying but they didn't see him spit out the liquid before it could hurt him too badly he did get some damage and they took the young woman who worked there and they raped her and then they shot her in the back of the head and then shot everyone else in the head but Oren Stanley's dad did not die they tried strangling him that didn't work either they then shoved a pen into his ear and kicked it and it went through his ear into his neck he would survive but after hearing what had happened because they wouldn't be discovered for four hours later but the next day an air force officer called ogden police saying andrews told him a while before that he wanted to rob the hi-fi shops and kill anyone who got in his way so the police came to the air force base and lined everyone up and the two perpetrators were actually there. And these two teenagers were dumpster diving near the base and they found the wallets and personal stuff. So they handed it over to the police and the police were showing it to everyone, making a big show, trying to get a reaction and they got what they wanted. They could tell the two guys that they were looking for obviously acted really guilty so they got a warrant for their barracks and they found a rental agreement for a storage unit and in the storage unit they found all of the evidence that was in there and they would also charge a third man he was the getaway driver and both the surviving victims have since passed 
and they both suffered a lot of pain since this happened to him. And that is it for the stories. Because they were short, I will read some fun facts from my wife, Kayla. Okay. A man once sculpted a statue of himself using his own hair, teeth, and nails. That's gross. Um... Oh, I actually have a fact that I didn't tell my wife to write down. It, it goes with murder. So if, if you're walking around and there's all these trees, like say it's in the summer, but all these trees are all the same color except for one. Looks like it has orangish leaves, something like that. That usually means there's something decomposing under that tree. And another fact, even if say you're if you were to bury a body like under like an endangered plant or whatever or what it, I don't know whatever it is they will still dig native yeah they would still dig they will dig under it to find it and if you're like oh I'll put a dead animal above the body cadaver dogs are specifically trained to pick up human decomposition. Obviously don't murder anybody, I'm not trying to give you ideas. Don't do it, but you know. But yeah, that's gonna be it for today. It's gonna be a shorter episode, but I'm gonna do some more research and we will get some more out to you. I just wanted to do these, some small ones, just to make up for the school shooting ones that I ended up not wanting to do because they were really long and really boring. So anyway, please follow me on my socials. Share this with your friends and family. Send me beer money if you want. And please, if anything, at least follow me on Spotify and give me five stars because that will really help the podcast grow. Okay, well, I'll see you later. Toodles, bitches.